the benefit of winning is that naturally the kids come in a little more willing to listen. If you're going to be part of our program, you're doing something almost every day. You're, you're part of an organization that I expect first class. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club podcast. I'm your host, Max Price. When I originally set out to do this podcast, I was planning on doing a, kind of a weekly episode every Saturday. Uh, I was able to keep that up for five weeks, so I give myself a little bit of credit there. But at the same time, I, I kind of decided to take the advice of quite a few of the guests that I had on in those first five episodes, which was to make sure I was being present both with my family and with my team. And in doing so, uh, I've decided that uh, a weekly podcast may not be the right fit. So my hope now is that every Saturday I have an episode, but I'm not going to stress to make sure that it happens. And I'm going to make sure that I have a high quality podcast here, place for good conversations to happen, and also make sure that I'm honoring both my family's time and my team's time. So with that, we start into episode number six, and I'm super excited to have on Michael Barta from Johnston High School in Iowa. Barta is entering his 10th season as the head baseball coach there. Uh, During his time, they've won three state championships in a decade. It's a really interesting conversation. We get to hear about the importance of fundraising, creating leaders, and a really fascinating dive into what it was like playing a full high school baseball season during COVID this past summer when pretty much every other sport, including professional leagues, were shut down in the United States. So let's dive in. Please welcome Michael Barda. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, Coach. I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on. You come very, very highly regarded by quite a few people. When I looked uh, on Twitter and was asking for recommendations, three people actually ended up sending me your name. Yeah, geez. Well, I probably stole everything from those three, so. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's what Coach kind of ends up being, I think. Uh, So I was hoping we could start by having you kind of walk us back through, probably starting with your playing days, maybe go go all the way back to high school, and then take us on through how you entered coaching and where you are now. Yeah, um, I, you know, I actually grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, so big Husker fan. Go Big Red. Uh, (laughs) That's that's a struggle right now. I know, I know. (laughs) That's the Ohio State game. Jeez, man. Yeah. no, I grew up there. I got to play with some really good players there. Uh, actually, growing up, got to play with, I know, Jabba Chamberlain, and, and he was just a guy that I looked up to growing up with and playing with. And then that kind of, I don't know, inspired me to stay with baseball. And and I tried to play it as long as possible, you know. So, you know, the original dream was, hey, I'm going to be a major league player like so many little kids. Obviously, that didn't work out. Um, but, uh, you know, from there, I, I moved to Iowa, went to Carroll Kemper, uh, which is a, a Catholic school, a little small Catholic school in Carroll, Iowa, and and had a Hall of Fame coach, Jerry Spieler, there. He just taught me to have fun playing the game, man, and he made made it a definite passion for me, and we were really successful. I, I loved winning. I, I mean, I, it made it it made it even even better. And then uh, from there, went to BV, uh, Buena Vista, another small town in Iowa. Uh, it's a D three school, and I uh, played for Steve Eady, who was a you know, a Hall of Famer as far as a coach, player, played for the University of Iowa, played played in the minor leagues for a number of years. Um, and he taught me a lot about the game and even a- allowed me to coach after I was done my four years. I was a pretty average player. Um, but I loved the game and he allowed me to coach with him for a year afterwards. And I got a little bit into the, you know, the background of what they're thinking as coaches. And it kind of inspired me to stick with coaching. And so after that, made a couple stops along the way, but ended up at Johnston. And I'm the head coach there, and it's been a heck of a run. When you were at uh, 
Buena Vista, you became a coach right afterwards. What was it like going from being a player to coaching guys that you had just played with? Well, yeah, that's probably the biggest, the biggest dilemma of it. You know, you're, you're, you're a pretty average player playing with some stud younger kids. And then next thing you know, I'm coaching these stud younger kids. They're like, man, this guy wasn't that good. But, uh, <laughs> but it, no, it was a lot of fun. It, it was, it was just a ton of fun to be able to have a responsibility. So coach Edie made me the defensive coach and I had that okay. responsibility. So I needed to do the research. I needed to make sure I was the best at my area. And then it was my responsibility to make our team better. And, and I love that. I, I, I think I, I saw the other side of it. Like what I decide to do as a coach will truly impact these guys' career. And so I really got into it. I was blessed to work with a couple other good coaches besides Steve Edie, uh, Steve Sanka, who's still up there coaching pitching and Ryan Dupic, who's kind of a, a legend in the coaching circles. He's a an NIA coach over at Concordia in Nebraska, and he's just a, a great baseball mind. And so coaching with that group of guys really helped me grow as a coach, no doubt. Yeah, having that ability to go directly into coaching is big. When I was first taking over as a coach or starting as a coach, I was, I guess, 22 coaching high school kids. And even that was kind of weird because even then I felt like, oh, I feel like I'm too close to their age. Like maybe I'm, I don't know, just it felt strange. And so I can't even imagine coaching players that I had literally just played with. That's oh, impressive. Know, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're at Johnson High School now. Can you kind of tell us about Johnson High School, where it is, what the demographics are kind of like? Just kind of give us a, a glimpse of the school. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, not a lot of people know about Iowa, but we, we have the Des Moines metro area, which is one of the biggest cities in Iowa, and we're just a suburb of Des Moines. And so we are one of the largest schools in the state. Um, so, you know, in the 10, 12 high schools, so sophomores, juniors, and seniors, we have around 1,900 kids. You know, we play in the large class. Uh, it's got a very rich tradition of baseball. Um, it started, you know, the, the city's really grown. So, you know, you look back to the, to the 70s and 80s, they were a really small town that like kind of sat a little bit away from the city. Uh, started by Coach Mahoney, who is another Hall of Famer in our state. And it, he started kind of a rich tradition of baseball. He built our field. And from there, uh, they passed it on to a couple other Hall of Fame coaches. And I ended up as an assistant for Coach Posegate for a couple years. And I'm working into what I think is our 10th year together as a staff as the head coach. Uh, really, really good tradition. Good young. Uh, our little league is outstanding. So our youth, youth baseball is great. Um, and I'm hoping to stay here as long as possible. Let's let's talk about your time there. So you've been there for nine years now. Yes. During that time, three state titles, decent amount of playoff uh, playoff experience in that time as well. Kind of, what do you attribute that success to? Was that was that the bar when you when you took over? Or is that something that's kind of come to fruition since you started there? It was a really weird time when I took over. To be honest with you, they had had some historic success with the tradition of baseball in the school, but we had a couple kind of down years when I took over. And I remember being interviewed by the kids that I was going to coach. And they had came off of, I, I think, probably a 500 season. And I said, you know, I, we're not going to accept not getting the state tournament. That's our goal. Like, we're, we're going to get to the playoffs. Um, and, you know, it's, it's great competition. We play in the best league in the state. A ton of kids in our league are constantly moving to colleges, usually Division One. So, it, you know, that was the goal. And, and I think the thing that really drove us in a positive direction was – I had a lot of coaches kind of retire or be done coaching baseball that time. So I was able to kind of bring on my own staff. And right now I have 10 guys uh, with me, nine, nine guys and myself. And those guys just get after it. I mean, it's kind of a, a team thing. It's not really me. 
Um, and, and so our staff has really taken the program to another level. Is that staff people that you knew beforehand and kind of handpicked? Are these people you've met along the way? How'd you end up with these 10 guys? Uh, you know, a little bit of both, you know, so uh, believe it or not, a family member, Tom Steffes was my first call when I was even applying for the job, but he had played baseball at college and he's a little bit older, but he's an uncle of mine. And, and so I got him on board. Then a, a former kid I played with who was a stud in high school and college. And then we went outside of that. You know, I, I have I just a number of a couple guys that used to be head coaches in our league. Um, we have a couple young guys that, that are, are want to be a head coach. So I, you know, not to, to name them all, cause I might, you know, bore all our <laughs> listeners, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's just a wide assortment of, of guys I've ran into. I've talked to over time and we have a very kind of strict hiring process of like, we have a number of people that every year want to get in and we're, we're not going to take you in unless you have the right mindset and, and you want to, you're willing to change every year if that's what it takes. And you're willing to put in endless hours on this job. How do you ask people about that mindset? How do you, I mean, how do you get interviewees or potential interviewees? How do you get down to their mindset and figure out if they are compatible with what you're trying to build? I think number one, my interview questions are not completely based around what your current knowledge of the game is. I'm more interested in what kind of time and work ethic you're going to give to growing your knowledge of the sport. Like I have a, a, a guy named Andrew McGuire right now on my sophomore level. You know, he play, played it for a really historic, good high school program. And he's actually a big into shooting video. He, that's his main job. But he wanted to get involved with coaching. And when I sat down with him, it was a guy that was like, I'm, I'll give you as much time as you need. And I'll go anywhere you want me to, to go to learn. And every guy in my program is like that. And, and I think that's really, you know, taking our program from, from one level and taking it to another. Um, and so it's just sitting down the interview and finding out how much time and what kind of work ethic and what kind of drive they want to help us be great. Yeah, I think if you have coaches who are willing to learn, that makes all the difference. It's it's becoming more and more known, at least in baseball, I can't speak to other sports, but just the amount of knowledge and things that we're learning now that maybe are different from how we were taught when we played is is vast. And so I think the ability to have coaches who are willing to learn and go out there and, and call information, figure out what works for you and your program and for the teams they coach, I think that makes a huge difference. It can be overwhelming though, man. Yeah. Oh my gosh, no kidding. Don't get lost in it, man. Yeah, the push for for data in baseball, especially. As a coach, I struggle with it. We have We have some things that give us lots of data points and I, I definitely struggle with trying to figure out where the line is of how this is going to help us or or at what point am I just pulling a bunch of data just for the sake of having data and am I actually using this data to help make players better, to help us be better as a group. It's a really fine line, I think. Oh, you're, you hit the nail on the head there. Jeez, man. Uh, so what's the culture like at Johnston High School, just as a, as the, a full school? Yeah, I mean, I, we have one. Uh, it's actually a, a very high academic school. Um, I, I would say they push academics probably a little bit harder than even sports, but, but, you know, athletically in my time there, so this is actually my 12th year at the school. I've really seen, you know, athletics continue to move forward and it's got a great culture of coaches that, that really expect to be good and are willing to do whatever it takes. I know in the baseball program, um, I love our culture that we've set up and, you know, culture is something that you, you got to work at every single day. So I could say that I love my culture today, but talk to me tomorrow. Maybe I'll, <laughs> maybe that'll change, but uh, I understand that <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a constant job, but no, we'll have about probably 140 kids out this year. 
and we've got to figure out how to get them to commit to who we are. Did and you just say like, 140? Yes, about 100. Oh my goodness! Wow. And okay. No, it's it's a, it can be overwhelming. Yeah. But you know, our, our ADs do a great job of giving kids opportunities, whether it's you know ABC games, whether we have freshman, sophomore, JV, which is basically our junior team and our varsity. So we have four different teams playing. And so, uh, you know, we have a number of kids getting opportunities. We have, we have our, 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 a number of POs, you know, pitchers only that mm-hmm. are working with our pitching coaches. And so every kid can find his role in our program, even with big numbers. But, but uh, it, the tough part is like we were talking about back to the culture pieces, you know, right now, you know, working with our 10, 12 kids in the weight room is making sure that every single one of those kids is bought into who we are and our standard. And that, that is a job. Holy cow. That's a job. Yeah, building culture is really tough, and it is a daily thing. I agree with you. We had, uh, we just got the ability to start workouts about, I want to say three weeks ago here in Oregon, or at least in our district. And Oregon's even divided by districts. Districts are all on their own with how they want to approach it. Um, so we've been shut down since March. It's been pretty crazy. But you, you're talking about the culture point. So we were kind of shut down for basically seven months. And we came back and like you, I love our culture. I love it. And then, you know, the first day back, kids put stuff away and I go to lock up. Everyone's gone and we have some buckets that aren't put away and baseballs were left out. And I'm just going, oh my gosh, like I thought we had the culture built in this thing. And it was a quick reminder to myself that no, it's a daily thing and it never ends. Oh my gosh. And that's, I would, would you agree? It's kind of like the most fatiguing part of coaching. I mean, that's how Uh, I like it. Yeah, by far, because you, you don't, I don't want to say you don't want to coach it, but you just, it's, you, you have such a sense of what your culture should be in your own mind. And so trying to help players kind of live up to that culture and then expect it out of themselves and then to teach them to expect it out of their teammates. It's just, man, it never ends. And it is so fatiguing. You bet. And then you, and then you get, you have it where you want and they grad, you graduate some kids yeah. and start all over again. Yeah. Yeah. You get a new group in there and yeah, exactly. It starts all over again and you're retraining seniors and kind of, well, not retraining them, but you're training them new because you get a new group of seniors every year. And oh uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. So kind of talking culture, uh, I wanted to go back to your time with Jerry Spieler in high school. And you mentioned you really enjoyed your experience in high school. What did he do to build culture and how has that kind of affected what you've done to build culture? If I was the perfect coach, what I would do is I'd help develop an incredible passion in the kids to want them to win a championship or get to the next level and play on their own. You know, like I would, I would want their passion to be so, that fire to be so bright that they would do anything. They would run through a wall to make sure they get an opportunity to play college baseball. And in my opinion, you know, nowadays what we're doing is we're collecting all this data. We have practices that last forever. We have coaches all over the place. We're individualizing plans. We have all this stuff going on that all these coaches around the U S are doing, but you know, kind of a, a point you made is like, when is taking data too far? What, what coach Spieler, he didn't have any of that data. We're talking, I was in high school around 2000, you know? And so and I know that makes me young for a lot of the coaches listening. But, <laughs> it does. Yeah. But, but you know, what he did was he developed this atmosphere where people just loved coming to practice. I mean, the guys I played with, we'd get to practice an hour early and we'd leave an hour late. And a lot of times he was there hitting the extra fungos. As simple as hitting the extra fungos. You know, sounds really like a simple thing. But, you know, him being available to us, being this positive energy, he'd always joke around with us. I mean, yeah, he yelled us once a year. 
but it was a, there was this atmosphere of fun. Like baseball is fun. And he kind of lived by the opposite motto of myself. My coaches always give me hell because I make kids and, and coaches be there forever. He'd have a pretty short two hour practice, but it, he left you wanting more every day. Like I, I wanted to go out and, and with the guys, the little league fields and hit every night because of just this atmosphere of like love of the game that he brought. And if you talk to people who, who played for coach Spieler, they'll tell you they just love baseball. I mean, how many of them are working in the sport now or played at the college level. And so, you know, it's hard to put your finger on all the things he, he did exactly, but I know it was almost like when he wrote down a practice plan every day, he said, okay, how am I going to make sure my kids have fun today? And I have taken that with me every year every year that I coach. I mean, right now we're, we're in our program, we're doing a flag football championship deal, like team eliminate double Elim bracket with my guys it has nothing to do with baseball, but it's something fun. I just want them to love being part of my program. And so uh, I've definitely taken a lot from him and how he coached me in high school. Yeah. I remember back to my high school days, I graduated in 2007. So similarly young, but at the same time, there really wasn't the data back then either. And I, I think back to my time and I absolutely loved going to practice and I loved going to workouts in the off season. And I loved obviously playing games and then winning made, made everything even better. But I just, I do, I do think back to that time and think, they didn't have any of the stuff that we have now and they still found a way to make it fun. And like you said, it's easy to make practices go really, really long because there's just so much to, to get done and be prepared and feel ready. And I, I just, I'm amazed when I think back to what coaches did in the past with player development and making us better, even without all of the, the I guess the things that we have at our disposal now. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree, man. How has, uh, so you guys, have been winning for a while now, obviously. Have you found that when players show up, they're entering the program ready to work hard and get after it because they know that winning takes a lot of hard work? Or do you find yourself with younger kids coming to the program, they're heading to Johnson High School, they know they're going to win, so they they may not, they may have to be taught how to work hard? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the benefit of winning, and, and I know there's some coaches out here that are looking to build their program, so yeah. Well, I'll try to get to that piece too. But the benefit of winning is that naturally the kids come in a little more willing to listen, right? Their ears are a little bit bigger. They're a little bit more of a sponge because they realize, okay, you know, and they've had success recently. I, I should be able to learn something here. And so, but on the flip side of that, no, I would say the average kid that enters the program does not understand the amount of work and commitment and devotion that it takes to truly be good and be a varsity player for us. Um, I, I, I totally think that's something we have to teach every kid that enters the program. I mean, and, and part of that is just the nature of youth baseball, not to hate on youth baseball, because I think there's a million good things going on. But, you know, usually kids play a lot of games and they have less practices. And, yeah. and so now as they move to, to play for us, they could have a whole offseason of weight room training and, and throwing and open hitting and all kinds of stuff like that that isn't playing in a game. And so just that, you know, changing that over to where, okay, my training is extremely important and I need to pay attention to the details and I need to be here for a long time and all that kind of stuff. That's definitely stuff we're teaching. Uh, that doesn't just come with, with being part of jo the Johnson community for sure. Let's do that. Let's dive into how you built this program. I know you'll be humble and, and it's not how you built the program necessarily, but obviously you're a major part of it and you're kind of the driver of it. So kind of take us through where Johnson was when you took over and maybe what you think have been the, the big driving forces behind building a winning culture, or at least bringing back the winning culture. You mentioned that they hadn't had a lot of success the past couple of years before you took over. 
you know, my first year we were 500. We didn't make it to state, although we played very, very good at the end of the year. And we, we won a couple playoff games to get to the state tournament here in Iowa. And uh, we were a pitch away uh, versus the number one team in the state. And so we, we did feel good about that first year. But I think the biggest change we had to make was that if you're going to be part of our program, you know, you, you're doing something almost every day to get yourself better at baseball. It could be, it could be weight room. It could be speed and agility. Um, it could be when we're kind of like you guys, when you're, when you get opened up to your start, you're throwing it, no matter what it is, you know, it's, it's, you're doing something every day to be part of our program, to live by our standard and, and get after it. And I, I will tell you the first couple of years was an extreme challenge, right? We had been at 500 for like two years and then we went 500. So we needed to change the culture. I just had a golf outing the other day. I was joking around with some kids that now are getting married and having kids. And, uh, and I was, I was joking around about how I went into my, my first year, my right fielder, I went into the lunchroom to run him down because he hadn't shown up to lifting. And I find him in this huge lunchroom and I'm like, Hey Chase, let's go, baby. You got to get to lifting. He goes, ah, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. I don't, I don't think I'm going to come. And that was my first year. Like, that was it, right? Like, that's real. You're, you're, you're sitting here. And, and then I realized, okay, you know, having kids uh, fall in love with your program is not just telling them what to do. It's, yeah. you know, finding a bigger purpose for him. And eventually he was a key piece of winning the title. And so, you know, it was a battle, but we got there. And I think now, you know, we're just trying to constantly, like we talked about, hit on the culture of, no, we're going to be in the weight room as a whole team. Not one kid's going to be missing. And we're going to bust our butt in there for whatever amount of time we need to be there. And then we'll go home for the day and your work for the day is done. I mean, just creating that culture of every kid every day is a constant battle. And so that's how we've kind of grown it. And I think through that kind of work ethic mentality, we've, we've been able to win some games uh, since our first couple of years. It may not be as exciting, but how has fundraising played a role in kind of building and providing tools and options to kind of help with player development and build buy-in from players? I think I was at the Anaheim ABCA uh, maybe 10 years ago. I don't know. We'd have to look at the dates. And I listened to the head coach for UCLA talk, and he said he took the job at UCLA, and one of the first things he told himself was, I wanted our facilities and our equipment to be first class. Um, He felt like in order to win a a championship that – you had to show the kids that this was important, that um, we're going to do anything for them to help them win. And I truly believe that. I, I, I think fundraising has been extremely important for us to be successful. Every year we're taking on multiple fundraising efforts, whether it's you know the traditional selling cards or yeah. writing letters to somebody. We do this car drive every year where, where people test drive cars and Ford kicks us a couple bucks and We've done a number of different things to try to develop funds. And the school board supported us. I mean, they just built us a new field as well. So right now, we went for, from a pretty average field in our, in, in our conference to now we have a turf field that's beautiful. Uh, we have a locker room that we've basically fundraised and built with our own hands. And equipment-wise, we get a little bit more every year to support our numbers. And I think all of that stuff does play a huge part in you winning, especially just development. We were talking about how development's changed, you know, whether it's a offensive or, or pitching Rapsido to hit tracks to a number of radar guns, all that's cost so much money. Oh my gosh. Yes. All those fundraising efforts every single year. I mean, don't get me wrong. My kids and parents hate it, <laughs> but yeah, we, we all do, but it's, it's necessary. Yeah, absolutely. 
So. That's that's a point I've tried to drive home to our kids too, and make really obvious is I think it's it's good when they can see their dollars and what their dollars have done, and so I try to make a really big point as we prepare for different fundraisers throughout the year of you know that rap soda that you're using that's been fundraised by you and people before you those brand new batting cages that's come because of people who put in the time and the money and just trying to make it really clear that when they fundraise money it's not going into some account that won't ever be used until after they're gone. Like we're going to spend that money as soon as we have enough to buy whatever it is that we want to buy. And we're going to spend it on you. And I think that's been huge for kids is to see the money and see where it goes and see that, oh, we get, we're going to have, I mean, even something as silly as, oh, we're going to have a a second hat this year, or, oh, we're going to have, you know, now maybe even a third hat this year. And just trying to create an experience for kids where it feels I don't know where it kind of feels like a professional baseball experience because most kids obviously won't won't ever have that. Yeah, and 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 you yeah, a, a place that kids love to go yeah. that they're, they're proud to be a part of. It, it is as simple as hats and jerseys, man. Like yeah. when every time we've rolled out a new hat and jersey, holy cow, the kids oh, they go, go nuts. <laughs> oh my god! And and then they're like, we're part of that. We're part of that program. We get to play yeah. on that field, you know. And and it's like I, I swear, right now our kids almost would rather be at our field than home. I mean, they, yeah. they get their hours and hours early and it's their place, man. It gives them, it gives them meaning. Uh, you know, you get into some mental health stuff there too. Like this gives them purpose every day when they wake out of bed, being part of our programs. And so, yeah, man, I think there's a lot to fundraising. I think it's bigger than what people think for sure. And it's, it's made, at least for us, it's made players kind of like you said, way more connected to the program. I was fortunate in high school to have a coach who, you know, at the time I was a player and I remember when I first made the varsity team and I was getting three sets of uniforms. Like, so we had a home one and away one and an alternate. And it's like, oh, we're going to wear the alternate one maybe twice this year. And you're going to get three hats and we're going to get a, you're going to get a new batting helmet. And I just remember the feeling that I had as a player just like, holy cow, like this is, this is all mine for this. Like, this is amazing and loving it. And so that just that feeling I've tried to bring to where I am now, which turns out to be the rival school of the school that I went to high school at. But, um, you know, they only had the the two uniforms. And so we've we've just branched out and, and now we have three. And so they were, and then we've kind of phased one out. And you bring another one in and then you get the hats. And I think it's I think it's huge for kids to kind of build buy in and they get excited. And I don't know, it's just important, I think, for kids to kind of feel that excitement. And maybe as adults, we don't get excited for it. But, man, they do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. They go crazy over that stuff. And then, but the only problem is once you get a new one every year, you got the seniors designing their new one. I mean, I remember, uh, this last year I had Caden Steck. I'm name dropping this guy. He was, he was designing a, a cutoff sleeve jersey. I told him, no, dude, that's not. <laughs> and then and he, still, he graduated. He said, Hey, you get that jersey yet? I go, no, that's never happened. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Back. I remember I was uh, in the Pacific Northwest. So I grew up a Mariners fan still. I'm sadly. And they, uh, in the late nineties, they wore these cutoff uh, sleeve uniforms that I loved. But then now as an adult, I look at, I'm like, there is no way we're ever going to have cutoff sleeve uniforms. <laughs> yeah. I remember as a kid just loving them and I can imagine right now. So we have uh, uh, baby blue, like Columbia blue is one of our colors and uh, our seniors last year, I guess they're seniors this year. What a weird year for us in Oregon. We had all our seasons canceled, but they're dying to have a full baby blue pants and top uniform. And I just can't do it. You got to get there, coach. You'll, you'll get, you'll go <laughs> I'm trying. I've, I've got the blue tops now. So we're getting, we're, they're slowly yeah. bagging me down, but we'll get there eventually. 
but yeah, I mean, I think fundraising plays a huge role and anything we can do to help parents and kids understand that is great, but, and we all hate it. It's not fun. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. But it helps a lot, yeah. I think. Um, man, so yeah, you kind of mentioned seniors, so let's dive in. Do you do anything kind of special uh, at all in your program with in regards to seniors, how they're treated or, or things they do or are expected to do or maybe things you do at the end of the season for them? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say the seniors always run our program. In fact, we have a ton of meetings up front where we say this program should be able to be run by you without a coach. And, and that's, that's our goal. I mean, we even, we've even in past years let the seniors uh, design practice plans. Um, obviously I, I have some guidance there. Well, sure. <laughs> yes. But, uh, but, uh, no, they, they've done it. I mean, I remember the 17 group, uh, which we won a title with, man, the last two weeks, we just, we just asked them what they wanted to do that day. And they had such a good mind for the game and they'd been in the program for four years at that time. They basically ran all our postseason practices to that title. And, and so it, it was pretty cool. They, they were a special group. Um, but yeah, so, so they, they kind of run our program. I will say, that we stole some things from Coach Clunder uh, here over in Iowa. He's kind of a, a legend over here. One of the things he he does with his seniors is they read they read the book Legacy. And oh my I, gosh, that book yeah, is amazing. I, I love that book. I think it's a great read for the seniors. I'm um, cleaning the shed, you know, them taking care of our facilities and and just being in charge of everything around them. I think that's a great read. Uh, so I, I think we'll continue doing that. I know right now it's kind of interesting with some kids are in school, some kids aren't. So we'll we'll figure out how to fit that in this year. But yeah, we've read that with our seniors and kind of our leaders for the past couple of years. And I think that's been a a huge positive change. They start to understand, you know, leaving this jersey in a better place. And uh, and I, I would say that's probably the number one thing. But yeah, I mean, we'll always do extra things for the seniors. We'll let them decide things as much as possible, giving them ownership in this in this thing for sure. Yeah, something really cool that I just remembered that uh, my head coach had done in high school is he had, as seniors left, they wrote a letter to the future wearer of their jersey number. And so he had been coaching for, I mean, he's been, he just retired so 20 years or so. So he had letters that he would then give to the next wearer of, you know, the number 12 jersey or whatever. Um, just talking about what the jersey meant to them and and what it was like to play for for that program and everything and it was it was always really cool. Ah, oh, that's so cool, man. That is so cool. I, I, I man, we got to do something like that. We might. I, can I copy that? Is that all right with you? I, might have I haven't even copied it yet. I just keep. <laughs> oh man. Well, I was just thinking in my head because I was thinking about how Iowa. You guys play your baseball season in the summer, right? Yeah, you bet. Yeah, and I, I was thinking about how I had a, a soccer coach named Sandro Prosperino from New York on a while ago, and he was talking about how some of the really cool things he does with seniors. And I was thinking, man, I just don't know how I can do that because our season ends. Um, oftentimes, our season ends, and then the kids like this, the school year ends, you know, the next day basically, and the kids are gone, and it's hard to get everybody back together and everything. And I was just kind of going through, like, man, he does some cool stuff. There's some cool things to do, but it's it's really hard to do. And then I thought, oh, but you guys are in the summer. That's incredible. Can you, so you got to play your full, I mean, you got to play a season this summer, correct? Yeah. So they, they cut, we, we were what let out of school early March, probably like yeah. most, most of the U S and then, uh, you know, they brought us back June one for the first day of practice. And so we, we kind of missed that, you know, the preseason, if you will. And, and our first day of practice is usually end of April, March or May one in Iowa. So they brought us back on June 1, and we, sub- we we missed some games, obviously. We played a 20-game season before the postseason. Usually we play 40, and, uh, and it, but it was phenomenal. 
it, it was just, you know, for two weeks, I felt like we were the only sport going on in the U.S. And it, you it, were. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you were. It was awesome, man. It was so fun. And so yeah, it, we got shut down in March, and that was it. And so we don't start again until next April. But, man, having a season, I bet that was amazing. Oh, it was great. And, you know, the thing about it is we had a, a lot of stuff going on with COVID, you know, where you had to sanitize everything multiple times. You, it, We had all these kind of requirements that our district kind of came up with, which were good, you know, keeping people safe. And But, you know, what, what's crazy about it is we kept talking to our guys about creating kind of her own NBA bubble. You know, we didn't want to branch out, you know, dump the girlfriends. <laughs> you know? but uh but uh we kept talking about that and so what happens is our team ended up getting a lot closer i mean heck we just spent most of our day at the baseball field because we couldn't besides our our immediate family and and the baseball team we didn't associate with really anybody else right. and so i think we got a lot closer and it just made the, the season even more special for sure that's interesting yeah luke voigt was just uh from the new york yankees i just heard an interview with him i can't, I can't remember where it was but he was talking about how this year with the Yankees was so different from other years because the players were essentially, you know, shored up in hotels alone together. Uh, even their families couldn't really be around. And he said that he's never really been a part of a team that was so close together before. Yeah, I mean, that's what, that's, what that's, this, that's what this does, you know. It definitely does. I mean, think about all the things kids can do, especially if, if your baseball team is in a city. I mean, you have just endless amounts of things you could do after practice and the games are over. And all those things are eliminated. So you basically just have each other. And that's the same thing for major league sports. I mean, NBA, MLB, they're in the same boat. Yeah. So. What were some of the big key takeaways that you learned that maybe maybe affected the way you'll do things in the future? Well, I think that – I think you can do a lot of d- – during the COVID time, we our coaches made a, a huge, massive, I don't know, like 200-gig folder on Google <laughs> Drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically IQ videos and culture videos that we put together. And then we dropped them into basically daily folders and said, Hey guys, you know, if you wanted to go through these daily, we try to put like two videos in each one. So not too much for kids, but I mean, we couldn't really work with, I mean, I can't, I couldn't meet with a kid during COVID time that was against our rules in our state. And so we made this folder and, and, and all our kids watched, you know, the IQ videos and, and the culture videos. And I felt like that was something new we did that I'm not going to completely go away with, away from. I might, you know, when we get around to the spring, maybe assign like a video a day, because I felt like when we came in to practice one, our kids were ready to roll. I mean, they had, we had (laughs) increased our baseball IQ twofold. Um, They understood some expectations in regards to culture and what they were part of. And so we were able to kind of maybe do things a little bit differently during that time. And, and maybe I'll keep that, you know, maybe that's something we can use moving forward even more. Yeah, I think that's big. We have something kind of similar and I've underutilized it. We, we similarly have a, a Google drive that's loaded with probably way too much stuff. And um, I like the idea of sending out kind of a daily, a daily thing from that Google drive and kind of create some focus on it and having all the kids kind of see the same thing before uh, each practice or before, or just that day, if we don't have practice on it. I like that. Yeah, I, I was thinking this year I might even develop like a test so that, you know, we'll, we'll watch it. There are daily videos and then we'll have like an end of the spring test or something like that where they would have to take the test just so we have our coaches have an idea of like the commitment of the kid, the level of baseball IQ they have. I don't know. I'm, I'm still working on that one, but 
that could be where I go next. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. It brings me back to the, the what we talked about before about coaches back in the day, back in the day, which really wasn't that far ago for either of us. But, uh, you know, they didn't really have necessarily Google Drive folders that they could just shove a bunch of stuff in. But my high school coach would put a quote at the top of each day's practice plan. And so you'd show up and you'd have to you'd have to basically not memorize the quote, but you need to know the gist of it. And then we, you know, at some point during practice, he would just kind of pick someone at random to ask the question. And uh, the first few times, if it didn't, you didn't get it right, there was some sort of, you know, team running type of deal that we would have to do. And I, I remember how quickly all of us started to learn that quote and what it meant during practice and would be making sure, especially as seniors, we, you know, there's a sophomore on our team. Hey, man, you, you get it? You know what it means? Yeah, yeah, okay. And just kind of building that same sort of a thing only without technology. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. And they've been doing, that's the thing. We're just, we're just, uh, we're just making every, you know, we're using the same techniques for years and years and years and, and just kind of trying to make it our own, you know, yeah. it's so cool. so cool. It is, it is pretty neat. I think the, I think for me personally, the use of zoom and video conferencing, I think is something that I'll, I'll use a little bit more in the future, maybe not with full teams, but if I'm meeting with seniors and things like that, might make more sense if, if we're trying to fit it into a certain time frame where they don't have to maybe be somewhere to make it happen. I think that's something big that I'll take away. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right now I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little zoomed out. We're all, we're all online here in Oregon right now for teaching. So I'm, <laughs> I'm tired of Zoom. It's got to be rough at that. Oh my gosh. Uh, man. So let's, let's transition a little bit to your personal life. Um, what I really want to get to is when you took over at Johnston, if I did the math right, uh, you did not have children yet. Correct. Yep. Correct. Okay. So all, all three have come around and been born in the time frame since you took over. Yes. Yep. We we now have three, an eight year old, a two year old, and a she's going to be three months here in a couple days. <laughs> That's amazing. I still don't get much sleep. My kiddo is only fifteen months older. He will be here in a week, and uh, he's teething right now. So my my sleep is is oh, non-existent. <laughs> but let's let's talk about that. So what has that been like to have? In your time at Johnson, all three of your kiddos have been born. Yeah, I mean, it's a constant challenge because, like, it, I feel like a lot of us baseball coaches want to be great at every facet of their life. We want to be a great coach and a mentor to our high school kids, but then we also want to be, like, an exceptional father at home. And, man, it's a constant battle. And you know that, and a lot of guys that are listening know that. Uh, my eight-year-old is kind of a special need. She's got special needs. Uh, she's got a really, really rare disease as well. And then on top of that, having the two little ones, like it's a battle, you know, it's a, it is, I, I give my wife a lot of credit for it's a full-time job, you know? And so I think, you know, you're getting to, a, to something that, you know, all of us constantly battle. how can we do it and be great at everything? And I know um, one thing with my wife that we've kind of established over the last couple of years is like telling her, I, I, I give myself enough time that I could come early to practice and I tell her, okay, I'm going to leave at this time. You know, I'm probably not going to get home till 11 at night, but I'm going to give you everything I got from 8 a.m. to noon when I'm home. And, you you know, and, and I think that's as the best we can do. And that's what I've gotten better at. I know back when I just started, I would be home, but my mind was in other places. You know, I was yes. thinking about lineups or development yeah. or, or, or on the phone with other coaches throwing around ideas. And that stuff's all good. But I think it's almost like you have to shut off the phone. And you've got to give your mind and yourself to your kids, you know, completely until you leave the house. I know that's one of the things that I've tried to get better better at through the years. 
Yeah, that's really important. I haven't, so I, you know, I just have the one kid. He's, he's, like I said, he's, he's going to be 15 months here in a week. And it's been a really weird experience because I haven't had a baseball season with him yet because ours, we had two weeks basically, and then it was canceled. And so I still don't really know what it's like to, to have him during a full baseball season. Uh, I know what it's like during workouts. We had kind of a, a month long summer thing that we were allowed to do by, by the school district. We have this month right now, but other than that, I, I, I honestly don't know what it's like, but I, I imagine myself and I already know right now I've caught myself sometimes, you know, being at home, but my, my mind, like you said, is definitely elsewhere. And I'm thinking about, well, you know, tomorrow's workout. I should probably do this instead. And I start thinking about that. I, I should probably write that down or put it on my phone. And I've caught myself doing that a few times. And you're right. It's hard because you want to be, you, you don't want to half it for either of them. You don't want your players to get half of you. And you certainly don't want your family to get half of you. It is really challenging. It is, man. I you just we just gotta bury the right wife, right? I mean, like, yeah. my, my wife is a saint, man. She does. She does so much around the house, and and uh, I don't know. Unfortunately for us coaches, I think you know the the wife of a coach is a tough job, and and my wife somehow manages really well. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know how she does it. Did you meet her uh, while you were coaching, or was she someone you met maybe in college? I met her in college. I played baseball with her older brother. And her dad was kind of a Hall of Fame coach. And so he, so I, I think she has a little – She knew gets it. Was, she gets it, yeah. She knew it was <laughs> so it worked out well. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's tough. I don't know if you have advice. You've already kind of dished some out, but maybe to, to somebody who knows they're having a kiddo soon, never – you know, they're, they're a coach, but they, they haven't had the experience as a father yet. What's some advice you might chill out to them? My advice would be even if you win your state title – coming home to your kid and, and raising your kid is way better. And so I, I don't know, you should, I, I, the older I get, the more time I give to my family instead of the, the team, unfortunately, I mean, I give a ton of time to those kids, oh, too. Yeah. But, but just that you can reach the pinnacle and realize that still that's your kids and your, and your wife are, are way more important. And I think, I think that's probably my piece of advice. It's, it's definitely difficult uh, managing the two, but I'm always uh, encouraged because I know coaches and personally and then just all over the, the state and the world really who who manage it and make it work and, and give everything to both. And so I know it's possible. And so that's kind of always been encouraging to me is that I know I know men who have done it and it's comforting to me because I know that means that, well, of course we can do it too. Yeah, and you know, the one thing that about that too is like, you know, don't get caught up in the social media world where we all post our happy family pictures too. Like every coach is a battle, right? Like there is, I, I would doubt there's any coach out there that didn't, hasn't really fought through times of how to balance family and his job. I mean, I, I, I you know, even the best of the best, I'm sure fight that every day. And so I don't know, I, I, I've talked to a lot of veteran coaches that have given me good advice on that. And uh, it's really helped me relax and, and, and realize that, you just got to do your best. You know what I mean? Yeah. Being a dad and a coach is, is, is a lot of work, but I'm really excited for the days when, when my son's old enough to kind of come to the park with me and I don't know, kind of have him be around kids. I don't, have your, have your players been around your kids much? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Uh, my older daughter before she's regressed a little bit, but back in the day she used to be around a lot and our kids and, and the kids would take care of her and, and just hold her hand and be there for her, which was awesome. And then I have my two year old Luke, is just starting to be around the park now. And so it's going to be fun these next couple of years as he uh, eventually works into the bat boy role. Yeah. It'll, be, it'll be great. 
Yeah, I think my wife and I went for a, a walk the other day in a bush park here in Salem, and we went by uh, Willamette University has their field kind of inside that park, and they were in a D3 school here in the Northwest, and they were practicing out there getting ready for the kind of last day of their scrimmage World Series type deal. Uh, and so Bailey was out there walking around on the other side of the fence uh, watching them, and three or four of the kids ended up coming over and, and saying hi to him and just kind of made his day. So as we're walking away, my wife said something along the lines of, what makes baseball players so good with kids? And I, I just like the, the effect that uh, being around kids has on baseball players or uh, just on, on young men, I think is huge. I just I go back to all the times I spent as a player having like kids camps and being, you know, a player coach during high school times of those kids camps and probably the impact that that had on me without me really realizing it, forcing me to, to be around little kids and to, to just have fun and, and be a happy go lucky guy in front of them, I think makes a huge difference for our, for our players too. Oh man. Same thing. I make my kids run those kids camps and yeah, I mean, yeah, I never looked at it though. The, the benefit they're getting out of that, just to associate with kids, they'll make them a little bit better dad someday, you know, passing on the game to those young kids. I don't know. It's good stuff. Yeah. I think it helps too. We've had uh, coaches in our program the whole time I've been here that have had young kids that come to practices quite a bit and bat boys too. And I think having them in there, having them in the dugout, having them at practice, I think it really helps with players and getting them to be nicer, <laughs> to uh, <laughs> react, to react to bad things in more appropriate ways and to kind of force a little bit more, I don't know what the right word is, but mental strength, I guess, yeah, uh, to overcome some bad things that happen because you got to be a role model. Yes. Oh, that's so good. That's really good stuff. We talk about that all the time, just with the crowd too. Like, you know, you, you're, you're part of an organization that I expect first class, um, you know, and if you're, you're, you're representing something way bigger than yourself. And so you better represent it with maturity and you better represent it first class. And yeah, putting that bad boy in the dugout, like that'll be my boy someday. I don't want him to hear F-bombs no. or whatever it is. You know, I, I want, I want it to be done the right way with maturity and I know that kids have to release a little bit, right? Like after yes, frustration, you got to release somehow, but but uh, with maturity. And so, yeah, that's a great point, no doubt. So, kind of as we wrap things up, I just the kind of last thing I want to ask you is if you could go back to yourself as a young coach, maybe even the first time you took over as a head coach way back when. What what piece of advice would you maybe give to yourself, or what's something maybe the young version of you didn't realize that that the you of today knows? Well, I think all my assistant coaches now say I'm getting soft. Um, so <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm moving in a good direction. Or um, I, I know that when I was younger, I was, and maybe this helped develop the culture of a program, but I was very, uh, man, I it was black and white. It was completely black and white. And I made sure kids understood what way was the right way and what way was the wrong way. I do think now that there are situations, there are, kids that fit into like a gray area uh, where I have to have to meet them in the middle and figure out more about them and, and develop more of a relationship with them and talk to them about their life so that I can reach them better. I do think that we, we all know that kids are very, very, very different. And so, you know, there isn't one pitch to motivate a kid or to, to help him right. to expand on his passion of baseball. And like, I have a couple kids right now that may start for me that they're not even going to go to college. They're, they want to, well, they want to maybe go to a trade school or go into the military and they, they don't want to play college baseball. Like that's very different for me. Usually, you know, my varsity group are all kids that want to go play in college. And so, I, you know, I'm finding ways that I'm going to meet them because they're, 
you know, me talking about the college game and, and, and continue your growth, they're not as interested in that, you know? And so figuring out a way to, to motivate kids in all kinds of different ways and be p- more patient, I think is something that I wish I would have had when I was a little bit younger. Um, I think we were successful when I was younger, but I'm sure I also turned off some kids. You know, I, I bet if you go back to all those rosters of kids, a lot of them still come back to all our alumni events. But I'm sure there's a couple in there that, you know, probably don't think the highest of me. And it's probably because I, I was too black and white and I didn't find a, a meeting them in the middle and, and really developing a good enough relationship with them. And so even though a, a lot of coaches out there have huge programs like myself, it doesn't mean that we can't find a way to get to know these kids. If we're in the weight room enough with them, if, you know, the weight room is the one place that we're all allowed to do. You know, in, in the U.S., I'm sure there's really not restrictions to me walking in the weight room and watching my kids lift and talking to each of them ind- individually. And I think if, if, if you really want to develop those relationships, you can. Early in my career, I kind of learned that as well. And it's really important because so many guys, like you said, what motivates one player and what you would think would motivate all of them uh, oftentimes doesn't. And even even maybe even turns a guy off and makes him kind of yeah. shut down while he's listening to that. He's like, well, that doesn't apply to me. Like, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's, a, it's a weird lesson because I think for you too, I mean, for me, I was, I planned on playing college baseball. So my whole time in high school, I was gearing up to play college baseball. So everything I did, I mean, I, I loved high school baseball, but I, at the same time, in the back of my mind, I was doing this so that I could be good and be ready. So when I get to college, I'd, I'd be able to perform. And I, it never really dawned on me when I was playing that, you know what, most, maybe not most, but probably a third of my teammates aren't going to go to college or even care to play college baseball. And so it would always be really weird thinking back now, like, why weren't you at that workout? Like, why, why wouldn't you have gone to that? Well, I just didn't, I just didn't want to go. And it's, it's just a weird, it's just a weird deal. Cause it's like, well, but don't you want to, and it's like, oh yeah, you college baseball isn't your goal. So I've got, so as a coach, I have to find something that is, that is going to hit you. That is going to make you want to show up. That is going to make you want to be part of this. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that again, it fits into the culture piece of gr- growing this, you know, the full group of kids moving in one direction and, and is, man, we're just working at that every day. Man, we're working at it. Holy cow. Well, let's, let's gear it down. I don't know if there's anything that maybe we missed that you, that, that you think coaches could benefit from hearing, but I'll just kind of give the mic over to you and let you kind of round it out if there's anything else. No, I, I think the only other thing that like I've been really interested in lately that we kind of hit on a little bit was you kind of, you hit the nail on the head when talking about data and tech. I mean, that's pretty much either the thing coaches are loving with, you know, right now, or they, they are, they're scared and they're wondering how to, how to handle it. And I, I think you, you talked about it best, you know, if there's any piece of advice I can give because we're living it right now. I'm not saying like I'm better at it than anybody or anything. We're just living it is that we're, we're going through all our tech devices and all our data and we're saying, okay, what's meaningful data to us at a high school level? that we can collect and, and use to make positive change almost on a daily basis that we can and still be good dads at home. And, mm-hmm. and so I, uh, we've been talking about that a lot. I developed a manager program here uh, this year. Right now we're looking at having six or seven managers that are, are really good at that and, and want to make a career of it. And so I think that could be something that some coaches could do to help with the data piece but also, we have some old-fashioned coaches mixed in our, our, our 10 guys, and they're still learning, and they're still improving themselves as coaches. But there are ways to be really successful without that as well. 
And I think we talked, we, we even talked about that earlier. Absolutely. Uh, and, and so just finding your ground and not being so worried about what the school to your right and to your left are doing, but finding like, okay, I'm going to take this little bit of data here and it's going to make us better in this area. And that's going to be okay for this year. And maybe next year I'll add something else. I think that is, that's probably the route to go. I know if you look at myself four or five years ago, we but we were buying all this tech, we were pumping out loads of data, and some of it would get used, and some of it weren't, and our heads were spinning off. And I just, I mean, I think we've gotten better about just picking and, and choosing what we want to use, and being really great with those pieces. And so that'd be my one piece of advice for like high school level coaches. I think college coaches might say I'm insane, you need it all, <laughs> but I'm not at the college level. I'm not at the college level. And so I yeah, really, I've, I, that's I, so funny. I've caught myself doing that where I like this year, like this, this month. And so like a freshman kid who's never used a rap soda before and we're using rap soda. And I caught myself one day say to a kid, yeah, we're the only team, the only high school team in Salem that has one of these. And it's like, well, <laughs> why the heck does that matter? Like, who cares? I guess, is it going to make us better or not? And is who cares if the teams next to us have it? Is that, does that mean they're not as good as us? No, of course not. It's like, oh, the, at, at one point, the ego of having one, just having something that maybe another school didn't have just for a second came out. And I'm like, well, wait, now, wait a second. Yeah, I know. That, you know, and it, what's funny about it is we've all, we've all done a lot of the same things Rhapsodo gives us. Obviously not at the level Rhapsodo can do, but I remember my first like three or four years as a coach, I caught like every kid in the program to look at like his curveball spin, his slide, oh, yeah. spin, his change up movement. And so we're back there sitting, you know, got a knee down. We, you know, that, that's how they talk about these one knee catchers. The coaches developed that. <laughs> <laughs> we were back there on one knee first. But anyway, uh, no, we, it's just like we were talking spin then and now Rhapsodo makes it a little bit easier. Now a kid can throw into a nine zone net and we can get all his data to help him with pitches, but like you can still do it without it. And so, you know, it's crazy too. Like Rhapsodo is a great example. We had it the first year I had it, we were pumping out Rhapsodo reports, but I didn't know what half of it meant. And so it was just like this overload of data that was really worthless. And so I, I don't know. I just hope that, you know, the, the date, the data drive this uh, revolution in baseball doesn't it I, I feel like at times it's taken people too far yes. to one side you know you got to find the happy medium between all these legends that developed our game and have the old way of doing things and some new tech and find that middle ground and and find your own style and so i don't know I, I, that's what we're fighting through right now that's what we're trying to figure out and so that's i hope i'm helping some coach somewhere think about that side of the game. I think so. I mean, you, you brought up the point. I think this is exactly the the point of what you're saying is that you need to be comfortable with what you do. And it needs to be something that, that, that I guess you feel is going to be best for your players. And also it works for you. And if that means you're using tech and you're finding ways to make it meaningful, awesome. If that means you're not, that's great. Cause a lot of pretty much all of our high school coaches, when we play, didn't use it. And we all usually think the best of them too. Yes, exactly. Kind of hearing what you've done there at Johnson is is really impressive, and the fact that you guys got to play during COVID in the summer, during you know during this crazy year where I don't know how many high schools got to play any sports at all. Kind of special to hear about, and what you've done there is, is pretty awesome. So I appreciate you coming on. Well, I appreciate you having me. This podcast is awesome. I got to hear all the. I got to go through the old ones and, and, and check some of them out, and and uh, try to try to steal from as many coaches as possible. Yeah, I think that's what coaching is. <laughs> Just taking this and that and that from other people, piecing it together and making it your own. You bet. Well, thanks for doing this, man. It's awesome. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. As always, you can find the High School Coaches Club by going to our website, 
www.highschoolcoachesclub.com. In addition to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at HS Coaches Club. Coaches, trainers, administrators, uh, even players uh, can all provide us with stories that, that help us improve ourselves and the lives of our athletes too. So uh, here's the deal, everyone. Um, if you know somebody who'd make for an awesome guest here on the podcast, even if that somebody is you, uh, please email me at highschoolcoachesclub at gmail.com. Um, coaches, trainers, administrators, players of seriously any sport uh, at the high school level. Uh, if you've got something or you know somebody who's got something to offer up to the rest of us, um, please reach out to me. That's the best way to kind of help this community grow. Um, lastly, you can always reach out to me personally, and this is really the fastest way to get a response because I spend probably far too much time there. Um, on Twitter, uh, my handle is at Mr. Max Price. Uh, so hey, I appreciate you being a part of the High School Coaches Club. Uh, honored that you tuned in and, and spent some of your time here with us. Uh, so thank you for that. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you. <laughs>